What have you been working on, Pam? Um, I'm giving a talk at Norfolk JS. By the time this comes out, I will have given it. I was polishing that yesterday, and I also thought of a project that's really kind of ambitious. Turns out, I thought I scaled it back enough for the scope, but apparently it didn't because it involves audio, and audio is hard. So, Like JavaScript audio? Audio in general is hard. So uh, are you doing <laughs> this in, in uh, on iOS, like AV No, I'm doing foundation. a node. The idea is that you can make ad hoc silent dance parties whenever you feel like it and broadcast music to people. So I was trying to do it so that you would do it over a local network so that like if you had the ideas, if we are on the same, if we're in the same house, so we're having a house party or something and we're on the same Wi-Fi, that gives you privileges to see any server I have running on my computer, right? So I can run a server and then play music for you. But the problem with that was that it's not synchronized, which means then I have to jump pretty much to a pretty high level of complication where I'm going to use IceCast, which is an open source internet radio service. So you can make your own internet radio stations, which is pretty cool. So I've always wanted something like that for like office music where... Yeah, like make your own station. Yeah, but then there's like Turntable FM and Sonos. Turntable Turntable is great. Turntable's gone. Is it? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a couple years now. Yeah. The turntable was great. Really, really, we should just remake Turntable and bring it back. <laughs> so I wanted something similar uh, when, like, snowboarding or skiing because I want to listen to music and I want people to be listening to the same music that I am so we can, you know, dance or, like, you know, be in the same mood. Um, but the are, you pro- really, are you really good at skiing, Justin? I'm, I'm fairly good at snowboarding. I've only skied once. I mean, you're just saying that you're so good that you can have dance parties while you're snowboarding. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but the problem with that is that even if you had some app on your phone that, like, synced everybody's music together, um, the reception on mountains is usually really poor. So this is why I was trying to do it, like, the, I, I was trying to figure out, I mean, and these things are definitely possible. It's just that some of it's, you know, more than a few weeks projects. Um, but... Being like creating a, a local network where your computers just talk to each other and they don't have to have an external party. That's what I think would be really interesting. Because I mean, if you if you load uh, music on your phone, then I guess I, I, I kind of got obsessed with the idea a bit of, you know, we have these computers in our pockets. Why don't we do a lot more like a lot more with them? Like, if everyone has a computer in their pocket, then why don't we create networks all the time and just do random interesting things because everyone has a computer in their pocket? Right. Like, we could do really cool shit if we bothered messing with, especially the network. That was that was what I got really interested in. Also, the thing that I don't know much about. I think your computer is less restricted than my computer, though. Uh, that's not completely. I mean, unless you're jailbreaking, I think they're pretty similar. Are you talking about Android versus iPhone? Yeah. You do have. I mean, you have more access, but there's definitely still some stuff that was blocked. Because one of the easiest ways to do this would be to use radio. So literally, you know. It, but unfortunately, it appears that our phones don't have that capability. Like to literally, like you remember, remember back when you would have a. Like your MP3 player or whatever, and then you would have that plug-in for your iPod so that you could play it through your car stereo. So it was broadcasting over a a radio band that it could override. 
So I was like, well, why can't we do that with our phones? We have computers in our pocket. Um, and the answer is because we don't have that right kind of radio chip. We have stuff, but it's related to it actually being a mobile phone. So this reminds me. So that's pretty well locked down. This your comment about like we all have computers in our pockets. Why don't we do like more interesting things with them? Um, one of the keynotes at Philly ET was Tom Ego. I go. I don't know how to pronounce it. I G O E. But he's the uh, co-founder of Arduino, and he's uh, an associate arts professor at NYU's Interactive Telecommunications Program. And uh, is that ITP? Yes, ITP. I actually don't know what ITP stands for, but ITP is generally known as a... Interactive Telecommunication Program. Weird computer art. <laughs> yeah, he, he, all of his slides and what he was talking about was people just making like all these really interesting things with, with computers and Arduinos and Raspberry Pis and sensors and um, just making interesting things. Yeah, it's a cool program. But yeah, carry on. You were saying... Oh, no, that, that's, it. that's it. I just want to tell you that... Oh, that well, he was saying you were saying keynote. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, what about people well, from ITP? There's lots of people at ITP. Well, it was, it was essentially the same thing you were saying. Like, we should be using computers to make uh, people's lives better and people happy, not just to uh, make businesses. I suppose. Also, bread and roses. Bread and roses. Familiar with that? No. It's a term from labor that when you're fighting for for things. To remember, people, people when they fight for things, sometimes couch on things they need. But that we should remember that we don't just deserve bread; we deserve roses. Oh, that's pretty cool. So it's about labor. That is back at, like during the labor movements. You know, saying like you aren't. It's not about just giving us enough so that we can literally live. It's about having a life, which is a different thing. Hmm, I like that. Yeah, bread and roses is a good phrase. Much more, much more positive than bread and circuses. <laughs> Which is what is that one? That is from Rome. Uh, that's a that's actually what Hunger Games references Paname Circa, um, because Panem's the country in Hunger Games, as we all know, because <laughs> we all obviously like the Hunger Games a lot, like Pam. Um, but just, bread and circuses is the Roman thing of you know, you can keep the underclass down so long as you entertain them, feed them, and entertain them. Bread oh. and circuses. Oh, wow, that's really depressing. <laughs> I just watched the most recent Hunger Games. Is that the third one? Yeah, the third, which is the first half of three, I think. Yeah. So it's it's the well, oh, it's not the first half of three. It's the first. Wait, you meant first half of the third book, not yes. first half of three, which is an illogical statement. Uh <laughs> because it would be first third of three. <laughs> yes, it was the first half of the third book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <clears throat> there are three books and four movies, right? Correct. And the, the next the, movie the, comes the, out in November, the, and it, then it's going to be awesome. Right. It's like Game of Thrones when they did like a book a season, and then all of a sudden it got all weird. It, it is all weird. I really yeah. like the most recent episode. Uh, I mean, oh. we can't talk about anything, but, you know. Why not? Because this is a programming podcast, not a spoiling Game of Thrones <laughs> podcast, Javon. No one cares if you spoil it. It's I, always exciting. Some I, people really scared. Get yeah, that's not true. <laughs> Let me know when I started watching. What? The show on Showtime with the dude from The Wire. Uh, be more specific. The Affair. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's multiple dudes from The Wire in that. Oh, yeah. That's the most depressing show. I watched the first episode and it was really confusing. The author's the most depressing person. I mean, he's really awesome, but. Oh, yeah. oh you've read the book? No, no. Wait, the book of The Wire? 
No, 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 no. no. There's no book. (laughs) I was talking about the author of The Wire. Oh, Oh, David Simon? Yeah, David Simon. I saw him give a lecture so many years ago, and he was the most depressing guy, but it was so depressing that it it had veered off into absurd funny. (laughs) Because literally the best moment was someone in Q&A literally asked the question, so does everything not matter and everything is awful? And he said, yes. That's great. That was that was his response. Was yes, everything is awful. Do you know why he was depressed? I mean, he was a reporter in Baltimore. Like that's what the wire is from. Mm. He was he was a reporter in the newsroom. So if you see, saw the season where they talk about the newsroom and how depressing that is, that's like very close to home for him. But I mean, also reporting on Baltimore. That's really what the wire is from. Great show. Great show. Recently remastered in HD. Really? Well, quotes around that. But quotes? Yeah, I think that, there's, there's a lot of... Yeah, and they did a lot of cutting, so I actually was not a big fan of that. I was all set to rewatch it, but it was A lot of cutting of scenes or cutting of, like... Edits. No, like you had a crop to make things fit. And, you know, oh. if you shoot something for one format and then you, you know, crop it, that's not really what the director intended. Uh, yeah i mean if i think it was david simon that said he actually didn't want to remaster it in hd but he needed to to make it you know more accessible because if somebody turns on hbo and you know sees the sidebars they're just immediately turned off yeah i mean i would be more do other people than me have like really high standards for the quality of their television yeah i I wouldn't watch it if it wasn't widescreen today really i just i do not care I think it depends. Like if it's on regular TV, it just looks awful sometimes. That's not completely true because I've been rewatching uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation on Netflix, and that's all four by three. I mean, I don't love it, but I much less like the idea that somebody, you know, framed this shot and then somebody else is going to arbitrarily cut it so it fits in the dimensions of your current TV. What if my flat panel HGTV changed shape whenever I played a four by three formatted film? That'd be ideal. What if you had a, an old school TV? That was in a cabinet, and then it rose up every time. <laughs> then I'd have to have a cabinet. Pam, back to your app for music syncing. What if, what if all the music, all the songs were local, and then you just had some sort of a consistent randomization, like deterministic randomization, so that you, like, at any point in time during the day, everybody would listen to the same point of the same song? Isn't that How is that deterministic random? That's like like, like, like no no like it's deterministic, but you seed it with like everybody has the same random seed. Oh, you mean the so kind it, of it random generator a, where every tick is equal? Yeah, like every, every, you shuffle because it has the same seed. So yeah, everybody hears the same thing at the same time. Mm. You mean if everyone had the music downloaded? Yeah, I guess it's the only problem is like how do you? Get the yeah, music? I mean, so that's like yeah, that's that's one. Yeah, I mean. I really, I mean, I guess I also, I mean, there's so the, the like default way to do this that everyone said when I first talked was like, well, just everyone streams from Spotify and then you do a clock syncing app. <laughs> and it's like, well, okay, but that's not interesting. <laughs> I mean, I mean, sure, it's interesting in a way, like it's an interesting distributed computing problem, but at the same time, it's also not interesting. It's not interesting to me because I think that's silly for everyone on, on data payload. That's the thing that got me. It was like, why are we having everyone, every, why does everyone have to stream? Why doesn't one person stream and then then other people can listen? Bluetooth. And think about how we can reduce data payload. Yeah, I looked into Bluetooth, but it, it can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other network protocols. There's the Universal Plug and Play (UPnP), which is a pretty much the network protocol for this. Um, 
Bluetooth is related to UPnP, but Bluetooth is, you know, Bluetooth is a specific proprietary protocol that has certain rules about it. And apparently some of the rules prevent specifically your phone from, uh, from working with another phone in that way. In like you have, uh, you have master slave and I think there, I think this was the issue. I mean, maybe, maybe I, sometimes I hope that like I'll say something about a project and someone listening in the podcast will be enraged and be like, that is possible. And then they'll prove that it's possible and that'll be good. <laughs> um, but I mean, but as far as I can tell, the, the network, the protocol for Bluetooth is too locked down for that. Um, and actually it was kind of interesting because after talking to that, talking about that, there was a, you know, it's one of those things where one of the reasons why I remember is because I walked over, walked past somebody and they had a, a USB to USB um, thing that they had just gotten in the mail. And I was like, why do you need that? And they're like, well, it's so you can connect two computers because when you plug in a USB, it sends, what, four volts of power. So this wire has a little thing in the middle that, like, you know, that deals with that power so that you can connect two power-giving devices. Otherwise, you can't connect two power-giving devices. You have to connect a power-giving and a power-receiving device. Right. That was interesting, and it helped me remember the Bluetooth thing. When will you need to connect two power giving devices? Power gating? Giving. What? Huh? You said USB to USB. Uh, you have to, you can connect two power giving devices. So I was wondering, do you know when there's an option to, like, what are two devices that both give out power that you can connect to? Computers. Mm. <laughs> like that's the answer. <laughs> two laptops. If you I want to connect I'm, two laptops over USB. I guess I'm so used to. Airdrop now. I never want to connect a cable. Or, <laughs> but we have to. We isn't should USB be to, super slow for that we, stuff? No. I guess in a in a bind, you, you, if you need something. I guess I also use Ethernet when I need to. Though, you know, when I when I transfer uh, stuff from one Mac to another, if I'm getting a new laptop, uh, a Thunderbolt cable and putting the one Mac in um, target disk mode is really really fast. It basically yeah, just I mean that's your what Thunderbolt is for. External hard drive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's what Thunderbolt is. As for, but I think this is for that case where you don't feel like having a Thunderbolt or you want a more generalized device. Yeah, also, because what, about connecting, what about connecting not to Max? Yeah. yeah. Also, you can't use the computer while it's in target disk mode. Yeah, well, because it, it turns it into uh, external. Yeah. So, but yeah, so, so that's the project that, I'm, that I just started recently and have been scoping it around um, and ended up with IceCast. But I took the day off yesterday to just kind of work on my talk and also work on, I want to do silly programming. I need to do some silly programming because I'm getting too stressed. Mm. And I thought that's what Haggis School was. Are you just supposed to... No, people do really interesting and impressive things as well. Well, I feel like impressive can also be silly. So mm. I'm taking silly as in there are no deadlines. I can work what I want. I don't have to... There are no deadlines, this. but that means that everyone feels like they never got enough done too. Okay. <laughs> so... If you think about that, you know, it's kind of like the, the no vacation policy problem that when you have no vacation policy, no one takes vacation. Yeah. I've, it seems like when people at least like us, I think we're just at, a, you know, there's there's flow uh, in kind of the mood of things. And right now people are like, oh, we have to get stuff done because we're near the end of my batch. So I think people are are kind of like, oh, like some people are interviewing and stuff like that. And so they're there's just a high stress level. When does your batch so end? Like, May 7th. Two weeks. Oh, you'll, you'll be in New York for Cinco de Mayo. 
I I will, Javon. That's exciting. <laughs> it's a fake holiday. She'll also be in New York for It's a fake holiday tacos. relating to May margaritas. May the 4th be with you. Um, yeah, I should do a May the 4th thing. That's not a fake holiday. made-up holiday. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Cinco de Mayo is worse because it's, you know... I was more making fun of you that you'll be in New York, a giant city with lots of drunk people. It is kind. Of, it is pretty annoying, but... It's decently easy enough to avoid. I've never seen Cinco de Mayo turn into like a... Like a St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, St. Patrick's Day is... I mean, you live in New Jersey, so... I, I mean, live... St. Patrick's, Patrick's Day in Philly is worse. It's it's, it's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> no. So... But I, I used to live uh, in the main line in west of Philly, and uh, I used to live above a bar. <laughs> oh, no. Wait, did you drink for free? Uh, I didn't um, drink, so... See, I, also, oh, right. also no. <laughs> but yeah, I have a friend who lives above a bar and I was like, I thought that every every 90s sitcom told me that if you live above a bar, you should just be able to drink for free. <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. Then then your tenants would just be all alcoholics. That's a good point. Like like not like they would turn <laughs> into alcoholics, but like only people that would want to live there are alcoholics. You make a valid point, sir. <laughs> so Pam, what is your uh, JavaScript talk on? Streams. 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 I'm, just, I'm reading it right now. Streams. They're really Streams are the best abstract data structure that you don't know enough about. That's they the gave thesis. you a good uh, about me. Or not about me, but like a, this month, our guest speaker is Pam Sally. Organizer of Philadelphia JavaScript developers. She will be flying down from mm-hmm. NYC. Yeah. Turns out Norfolk, Virginia is far away from New York. Yeah. <laughs> There's not Amtrak? <laughs> to fly. There is Amtrak, but it is literally eight hours something. I was like, I can't do that. I can't spend all day. Like, because the, the, you, everyone knows the train Wi-Fi is shit. So, I mean, I prefer the train, but eight hours is beyond the, I would do five hours, but eight hours is beyond my ability. Pam, what's a stream? A stream is an abstract data structure, and SSTP calls them delayed list. But basically, like the idea list? is, yeah, like, it's a, or a lazy, like a lazy sequence. Um but streams as an abstract data structure, there's different ways you can see them in play, but they are really awesome because they allow you to deal with data that you don't know the end of it or it possibly is infinite, which is really cool. So, so you don't have to have a known end to your data set. Your data set can just go forever. Is this the same thing like CSP? I don't kind know. Of. Well, communication, sequential processes, whatever. Whereas like a Go routine where it's an infinite loop and you just get stuff. I mean, that sounds like a stream. So stream would be the thing that something is an implementation of. Okay. So you can implement a stream in your language. Or generally your language probably has a stream structure or okay. a structure that is friendly to streams. I wonder if Action Cable is going to have streams. Mm-hmm. I saw a tweet I- yesterday <laughs> that so what's that Congrats months of Action Cable. <laughs> so, so RailsConf um, keynote was yesterday by DHH, and uh, he announced, uh, you know, Rails and everything is like action or active something, like active record and action pack. And uh, there's a new part of Rails called Action Cable, which is uh, essentially web sockets in Rails using Event Machine, uh, which is good. Uh, people were l- lamenting that it's implemented in Event Machine because I think it's a pretty thorny system to work with. Also, TurboLegs 3 was announced. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to find out more about that talk because I missed it, and I'm just trying to piece it together based on... Cat has a really good stream. Yeah, I read all of his. Yeah. Um, so he was seems... basically saying that, like, uh, DHH is doing a lot of contortions to not write JavaScript. <laughs> no, yeah, it's true and very depressing. 
I mean, the good part, so it started out, right, announcing Rails API being part of Rails. But he, like, shitted on it the entire time he was talking about it. Oh, really? Yeah, he was like, I, I don't, he was like, I don't need this, and <laughs> I don't see why this is needed, but here you go. Anyway, here's Turbolinks. Yeah, and then he kind of endorsed the idea of writing the monolith, calling it an integrated system. Oh, yeah, he said, SOA is dead, and I love monoliths. Wait, was this, why do people listen to him? Uh, he's very influential in the Ruby community, at least. Um, and but he just he says things that are just completely uninformed by everything people who have been studying things for years say. So I don't. So I think he he comes off that way, but I think for his use case, what he preaches works. But then he it's that whole thing of like I don't know, like he shouldn't be so loud about it. But that's his personality. I think people have learned to. Ignore him. I mean, I was after TDD is dead. I was kind of expecting something really funny this year, and he delivered. Uh, yeah. But no, Tom Tom Dale, uh, who's on the Ember Core team, was talking about um, how he agrees with most of what DHH says, except for his views on JavaScript. Um, that that he is correct. That like it is better to if you have a small team, it is probably better at this stage to keep everything in one uh, integrated system. Instead of splitting out the microservices, because then you're pushing the, the complexity to the interaction of those services. Um, however, not every system is worked on by three people. Sometimes you need lots of teams working on something, and then in that case, it makes sense to split it up. Yeah, but separating your client app from your API is not necessarily, you know, a microservice. No, no, no. Yeah, and that's that just seems like common sense. Um, that said, I really like when I'm working in a Rails app and everything is in. The server, server side, it's it's easier for me to test, easier for me to understand as a Ruby developer. But I am also very naive when it comes to JavaScript front-end frameworks and their interaction with Rails and um, other people that are much more experienced than me, such as Len, um, don't seem to have that uh, hesitation. I also think um, DHH is a pragmatist, I guess. Uh, he likes to get shit done, and he's not into like fancy tools or... No, I won't say fancy tools. Like Basecamp is pretty basic. There's no like. Yeah, so that's the other thing of like when he has an opinion, I like want to think about where he's coming from because I've worked mostly on you know client projects that have varying requirements, and somebody else needs to maintain maintain them after I'm gone. Um, I think I think those requirements are much different than we have a very simple simplistic server side app that's all just database storage, new external services, and I think the the design patterns that come out of that versus what would come out of something else um, are a little different. I didn't phrase that very well, but I think you understand what I meant. Yeah, I gotcha. He still says some really outlandish things. Not well. I just should phrase that he he's very loud about his opinion. My favorite Which, tweet was uh, Aaron Patterson saying that he's in the Rails core team, and this is the first he's heard of Action Cable. I'm excited to hear his talk. He always like goes after and does some mega trolling. So, oh Pam, did you get your stickers yet? I didn't yesterday, but I'm hoping that they'll come today. It's early today. It should be yeah, because if they went out Monday night, then Tuesday would have been super duper fast. Like today is hopefully when it comes. I I mailed something to Pam. I I wrote with a pen on an envelope and put something in it, and I found a stamp in the house, and I put it in the mailbox, and then it disappeared by the end of the day. I guess somebody took it. (laughs) I was really impressed. You mailed then, a HashiCorp sticker? No, no, I didn't put anything else in there. I was, I was thinking for like what else I could put in there to be troll, but no, I didn't find any, anything funny. 
Just stickers. Amazon delivered something. Well, ours something from Amazon, and they did that thing where it was not delivered, or it was put in the wrong mailbox, and they marked it as delivered. And now they're like, oh, we're, we can refund you, but you won't get it till like, another day. I was like, I need it now. But on the subject of mail stuff. So when your neighbor stole your mail? So it, I mailed it to my parents, and they have oh. uh, one of those things where everyone gets the mail. It's like a big box, and everyone has their own thing. But you think their neighbors would like see that it's the wrong name? And go yeah, so that's why I told Amazon. I was like, we have nice neighbors. They would give us a package. Like, it clearly says our address on it and my dad's name. So. I lived uh, in an apartment complex. I was on the third floor, and I had a neighbor on the second floor. And there was only three people in our in our stairwell where the mail came. So I got a package from Gamefly one day, which is a game rental service, kind of like Netflix, physical discs. Uh, so I opened it and it was the wrong thing. So I just left it on the counter. Uh, and then two weeks later, my neighbor below, uh, asked me like, Hey, you didn't happen to get a package from Gamefly. And I was like, Oh my God, I did. And I went up and looked and it had his name on it. And I didn't even look at the name. I just opened it and assumed it was for me because who else out of three people would be ordering from the same place? Uh, and you that, guys then play video games together. Yeah, that started our friendship. I was a uh, groomsman at his wedding. Uh, he was a groomsman at my wedding. Wow. Uh, we're, we're business partners now. So, yeah, it could be the start of a wonderful relationship with your parents. <laughs> somebody stealing their mail. <laughs> Moral of the story. <laughs> so, going back to streams. Sorry, Pam. <laughs> Is the what? Wikipedia article uh, a good article on streams? It's very short. Like, where can I find more information about it, about this data structure? Where can you learn more about streams? Mm-hmm. Like an all-in-one source. She was saying lazy lists and sequences, and I figured your closure neurons were firing. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's that's from SICP. So you can read the chapter on streams in SICP. Oh, I actually have that book. I'll check it out. Is, really it, short? is it short? The the book? No, <laughs> that chapter. <laughs> the, streams, the stream section is pretty short. The book is not short. It's, it's also dense. It's long and dense. I really want to read that uh, to completion one one someday. I mean, everyone Maybe. says yeah. all the good stuff about it, but I I also really enjoyed just reading the section that was relevant to what I was studying. Do so you think just keep it as like a reference and yeah, look, look although at it with your, yeah, although there's a I wonder if the online version has it, but I was reading looking at the physical copy yesterday, and this is really cool. Okay, they do have it, so I'll drop this in the in the show notes, but. This is like one of the things where I read this. I was kind of feeling like I wanted to take a little fun break yesterday. And so that's why I was, I was doing some like Markov chain stuff. But I was reading this. So there's this quote at the beginning of SICP, which I think is really interesting because it's at the beginning of SICP, a.k.a. like one of the most intimidating computer books. Also, though, I mean, the reading of it was pretty fine. I think one of the reasons people say it's so intimidating is because it has it's in scheme. So I think if you know some Lisp, it's maybe less intimidating. But the, the quote at, uh, at the beginning, so after the dedication, says, I think it's extraordinarily important that we in computer science keep fun in computing. When it started out, it was an awful lot of fun. Of course, the paying customers got shafted every now and then, and after a while, we began to take their complaints seriously. We began to feel as if we were really responsible for the successful, error-free, perfect use of these machines. I don't think we are. And then it, it goes on and talks about that computing needs to be fun, but I don't need to read the whole thing on the podcast. <laughs> but it's a really cool quote from Alan J. Perlis, Perlis, who is a founding father of computer science and was the first recipient of the Turing Award. So the first recipient of the Turing Award says computing is supposed to be fun. 
So you can read all of SICP online too. You don't have to have a physical copy, just in general. Yeah, and there's um there's a GitHub repo which I will put in the show notes. Um, mm, yeah, which produces an EPUB for Kindle. Nice. Moby. Yeah, Kindle SICP or something. I'll find it, put it in there. I think I have cool. it started somewhere. T W Camper C A M P E R SICP dash Kindle. Uh, yeah, there's just a Moby file in the repo that you can download, or there's a code to generate it again if you want to generate it again. If you're into ebook generation, that's the thing you're you want to do. It's squirrel season again. <laughs> there's one outside eating stuff. So what have you all been up to? We know what Pam's been up to. I mean, oh, Justin's the new DevOps person. <laughs> I gave a talk last night. I gave a live demo of uh, Terraform, one of HashiCorp's tools. Uh, I gave, I gave three demos, technically. Live coded against web services on conference room internet. So I was pretty impressed that everything worked. And he shut the shades. It was so dark. It I had, wasn't dark, I had it was dark slides, and it was too bright to see if they were open. It was a good talk, though. <laughs> good job. Now, you were just sitting there steaming about me closing the shades. <laughs> For a little bit. Well, if you want to look out the window, you could go into the other room. Uh, it's not looking out the window. It's just sunlight. It's so nice. It's getting later. I mean, it's getting brighter later. So. But we also learned about, is it Riemann? Well, I, I always pronounce it Riemann, Riemann so but somebody was. It's a math uh, person. Yeah. Name. Someone who knew German was educating us on how to say it at the end of the. Riemann. That's not German at all. Like that Van Gogh in Dutch is actually Van Hoch. What have you been up to, Len? Nothing really programming-wise. I'm actually, you know, feeling a little bit of analysis paralysis. Like, I'm feeling like I need to leave Rails, but I'm not sure what I want to go to. You spent some time playing with Elixir, right? How'd that go? Leave Rails. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't leave Rails. Yeah, I'm looking at Elixir and, and Node. We, this podcast, we talked, I just, I'm still bothered by the, oh, like, this really influential figure that does keynotes <laughs> at the major conference every year. You know, he's just really loud. He's not just really loud. People keep giving him a platform. Stop giving mean people platforms. Well, well I also like think a- he has, like, veto power over Rails, too. He does. Why? And I think he's the only person that foundation? has ever used TurboLinks. No, he made he he made Rails like it. I don't know like how that all works, but I thought Thirty Seven Signals still had that trademark or something. Oh, did they? Well, he owns Thirty Seven Signals, though. Right. Well, he right, owns right, part right. of it. Yeah. Um. But no, I thought you played with uh, Elixir and Phoenix a couple months ago, and how did that go? No, I did. I like it a lot. Seems really powerful. Very nice. The next big language you, for the web. Yeah, is I was Elixir. gonna ask if you if you read that article. No, what article? There's an article on uh, lobsters. Lobsters and and Reddit <laughs> currently about how Elixir is the next big language of the web and how um, if you were a consultant, uh, I guess almost ten years ago now, eight years ago, and you wanted to use Rails on a project, you were kind of seen as like, why would you want to use this thing nobody's used for anything in production before and. Now it's the de facto standard, and, and people think that Elixir and Phoenix are the same now, at the same point where people, some people are using it for production things and having great success, and other people are scared to because it's not something that they're used to and that clients are used to. I wish I wish I had picked these words for my conference proposal. What words? Elixir, the next language for the web. I was just like, Elixir, the new Ruby. Which... <laughs> the new Ruby. <laughs> That's that is a tough sell for some people. Yeah. So uh, what's cool about Elixir? What's this deal, and what does it have to do with Erlang? 
so Erlang um, compiles to a bytecode for virtual machine called Beam, almost like the JVM. And Elixir compiles to the same thing. So Erlang has a, uh, I would say, very unconventional syntax for a lot of programmers. Where there's, you know, statements have like commas and periods and semicolons and weird, weird places. And just the capitalization and a bunch of other things are really odd. Also, more important than the syntax, uh, Erlang's missing a lot of tooling. Like there's no build or dependency tools. Elixir also has uh, macros, like list style hygienic macros. And uh, what was the other thing? Essentially, just so it has a very Ruby-like syntax and has a lot of very nice things, such as the build tool and and uh, called mix and and macros. And actually, in some instances, Elixir can produce code that's actually faster than Erlang because it can do optimizations. Um, so it's a very nice language to use. It's very uh, performant and it's very resilient because it uses the same underlying. Um, structures and, and and things that Erlang uses. And Erlang is a very old, not very old, but I guess 20, 30 years, uh, telecom language. No, that, Erlang like, is old because I was looking around to try and figure out. It was the 80s, right? Yeah. No, I think. Oh, it was late 80s. Yeah, it is late 80s, yeah. Sweden. But like, but like, Sweden. But like our but, Skype call yeah. is probably going through like a couple pieces of hardware running Erlang right now. And when you use your cell phone, it probably goes through a couple pieces of hardware from Ericsson running Erlang. Um, so it's, it's a very uh, resilient and scalable system. Um, lots of different languages try to do stuff with actors. Like uh, Scala has Akka and, and Ruby has Celluloid. Um so Erlang has and, and Elixir have actors built in uh, with a framework for managing their supervision and lifecycle. So everything in Elixir and Erlang is um, passed by value, I'm pretty sure. So instead of sending a reference to an object to another another function to run or another actor to run, you actually pass the entire value, which means that that function that's receiving that value doesn't need to be on the same piece of hardware. So you could run something on your laptop or one server with maybe like 10 different actors. And you can kind of like make your own like service-oriented architecture inside of one Elixir. I guess they consider each app to be different apps. But like you could have like a web piece and then maybe like a, a database manager and a config manager. And these are all separate things that are running and sending values to each other, different actors. But you could also have these spread out against many machines. Um, and you can even connect to a running Elixir process uh, or Erlang process in production. You can actually change the code in the process without restarting it. Um, essentially, the next time it receives a, a function call, it will just use the new one. So, you, so if you really wanted to, you could do in-place um, upgrades of, of software without downtime. Um, so yeah, it's a really friendly and scalable language. Uh, there's a Kata seed for Elixir, so if you want to poke at it and write some tests. Uh, Don't use if statements. You could do that. Yeah, uh, if statements in functional languages are interesting because, yeah, we might have to go into that. I actually really, my favorite feature is pattern matching. I really love pattern matching. Yes. In your, you know, the declaration of your function, you can specify like this parameter uh, when it's nil and that way you don't need a conditional. So you can actually have two functions and the signatures uh, kind of have the pattern in them. Yeah, there's there's a uh, so it gets Haskelly without getting Haskelly, kind of. Yeah, there's there's two things. There's the arity of the function, how many arguments it takes, is actually part of the function uh, definition. So if you have a function called update user, 
you could have two versions of it that take one takes two arguments, one takes three arguments, and you actually reference them by like update user slash two or update user slash three if you're like in the console trying to look at it. And then on top of that, you can also have guards, which are I guess runtime pattern matching of what the value is. So you could say like update user when user ID is the user ID of an admin. I don't know whatever whatever you want to do. And you can have different function definitions, like Len was saying, that behave differently based on the arguments passed into it. So instead of having like a, a case statement or a bunch of if statements inside of a function, you just have separate functions depending on the input. Yeah, when I was playing with Elixir, I did the string calculator, and I just kept thinking, I couldn't, I, I reached a point where I was like, oh, I need an if statement here. And then I, was, I thought about it a little bit, and then I was like, nope, pattern matching, just pattern match a different way. Um, I thought that was pretty awesome. And that's really useful in controllers too. So you can have a different controller action for when the current user is nil, things of that nature inside of Phoenix. Yeah, I, I wrote a URL shortener Elixir uh, a long time ago, almost two years ago. I should probably update that to actually run on whatever the current version of Elixir is. But like I was saying earlier about the actors, like there's two different apps. There's one for the web API and there's one for the actual core shortener. I think it uses pattern matching a couple places to determine what to do, especially in the, the web portion. But that insurance as well, yeah. I'm trying to find a, a video, but I think the, the Phoenix video is like build a chat application in 10 minutes, which is like the new, you know, Rails build a blog in 15 minutes. Yeah, but Get I another Twitter app. I, I like that, but I don't build a lot of chat applications for clients <laughs> or for myself. Right. I'm, I more well, build websites and APIs. I think a blog back in the day was hard. People right? still no one, build. No one really like build blogs for clients, you know. Uh, I guess you're right. Uh, but I was just saying, hey, here's this kind of complex thing, or things that require that would require lots of setup. So, like, set up your database and set up these models that are called posts and login and stuff like that. I think a chat is something that requires a lot of setup that also requires a lot of modern day technology. Not modern, but like probably like web sockets and stuff. And here's a project that shows that that we can do in ten minutes. Uh, Dockyard, which is a Rails consultant, or sorry, is a consultancy in Boston. Um, I believe they prefer to do all their projects with um, Elixir and Phoenix as the API on the server side, and uh, Ember on the client side. When did that start? Because they're a big Rails. They used to be a big Rails shop. I listened to some podcasts with from uh, their founder. I'm blanking on his name. Um, I think in Brian Dece- something. Yeah, and in, in uh, December and. They uh, have been doing it for a little while, so I think I think for maybe a, a year or so, or six months to a year, they've been doing that. Ironically, I think it was the Ruby on Rails podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Are you guys ready for picks? After one thought. Okay. I think you should open it. Elixir Consultancy Line. <laughs> everyone hire Len for Elixir, not Node. And not everyone not hired Jervon for Closure. Soon. <laughs> okay. You, all three of you, can. Make your consultancies that do different languages, and then I'll work on deploying it. <laughs> the company could be called Turing Incomplete. <laughs> uh, so I've been toying a lot with Emacs. I like pain. Uh, just kidding. Um, but so I've only been I've been working on a simple Rails app lately, and Emacs has this plugin called Robe, and um, it runs. I'm pretty sure it runs a a Ruby process with your app in it, and um, that way you could jump to methods and stuff in the app really reliably. Um, 
because it knows about the app. And then if you change a file, you can reload it. Um, so that's my programming pick. And then my music pick is, um, hold on, a song called Yoga by Janelle Monet. And I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yes, those are my picks. Justin, do you have a pick? Uh, yeah, I'll pick the Amazon Echo, which is a speaker that you plug into your wall. Uh, I have mine. Ours, ours is in our kitchen. Uh, and it has a, they call it a far field microphone. Doesn't so you, it creep you out? Uh, no. <laughs> it's creepy. It's an, so it's an always listening device. Yes. It is, al- it is always on. You don't, there, there's a mute button on it though. So if you're really creeped out, you can push the, uh, the mute button and it'll, it will turn red and let you know that it's not listening to you anymore. But then how do you turn it back on? You just push it again. So you, it's, it's actually not listening. So you can't say something for it to turn on. Cause if you can say something for it to turn on, it's actually still listening. Well, I don't think it's always transmitting. I think it listens for the keyword and then transmits. Yeah, but I, I mean, mean, I mean, the, so it still why, has the capability for, to be creepy. For you like, to be I able could, to talk mm, to it and do something, it needs to be listening, right? Mm. I don't know. I don't say a lot of top secret things in my kitchen. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's a it's a speaker and also connected to Amazon, um, and it listens to you creepily. And uh, it it's called Alexa. Well, you can also change its name to Amazon. I wanted to call it Siri, but I couldn't. Uh, but you say, like, Alexa, what's the weather? Alexa, play Passion Pit on Amazon Prime. Uh, speaking of the new Passion Pit album, came out yesterday, and it's really good. Um, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, I paid $100 for it. It is now $200. I don't know if it's worth that price. I mean, it's actually a really good speaker, and it's actually even... Uh, I have bought a Bluetooth speaker in a similar form factor for $200 before... And you have to turn it on and pair it with your phone. Uh, the interesting thing about Alexa is, or uh, the Echo, is you can actually say Alexa uh, pair with Bluetooth and it will turn on pairing mode and you can do it. And then you can tell it to connect to your phone, disconnect from your phone. So instead of having it always connected to your phone and having everything go into the speaker, you can tell it to turn it on and off. Is so it? Can, yeah. So is it responsive? So like, is it, when you say something, do you have to repeat it, or does it always get it? No, it, it almost always gets it. Uh, occasionally, if there's a lot of noise, like when I'm doing dishes, or if, or if uh, our daughter is being loud, it has more trouble hearing. Um, but yeah, I, I've like yelled from across the house, and it's heard me perfectly fine. I'm tempted to do now, but I think uh, that wouldn't be enjoyable for the listeners. Um, but yeah, it, it's it answers a lot of questions. Uh, I wish it had more integration with like I want to be able to like add to my iOS reminders and my calendar, but I don't. I can see why that's not feasible right now. Um, but just just for a speaker that you can talk to and ask for weather and news updates and other things. Um, also, like kitchen conversions, you can say like how many tablespoons are in a quarter cup, and it will tell you. Uh, it's pretty cool. You don't have that stuff memorized? What? No, I don't. <laughs> I always need to look it up. Uh, and they're adding more and more things. Like it just got uh, Philips Hue and Belkin Wemo support, so you can tell it to turn on and off lights if you have those systems. I don't. I have some other ones that I wish were supported. I really want Nest support so I can tell it to change the temperature or turn the fan on. Uh, yeah, but I, I just like it as a speaker that I can talk to because I can tell it to play music of any genre and it will just play it, and that's been really, really handy. I've, I've been listening to more music in the kitchen and while I'm doing like household chores than I ever have just because it's so easy. Uh, Pam's going to make fun of me because my pick's also television again. Um, I think everyone's heard of Daredevil, but apparently Justin do hasn't. You, do you actually program, Len? Uh, I watched the first episode last night, Len. Yeah? Because I thought we were going to talk about it. 
It was good. It, it has a dude from um, Boardwalk Empire. I haven't seen it yet. There's a lot of people from it's Boardwalk good. Empire, but we don't have to go into that. The Irish guy. Oh, the, oh my <laughs> gosh. There's a lot of Irish. Oh my God. <laughs> well, the guy from, he, he specifically no, came no, from Javon, Ireland. No, you're fired. He came okay, from no, Ireland to. Uh, okay, because there's uh, lots of Irish people. That's kind of the point. <laughs> Justin knows who I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do too. So yeah, although, you know, the violence is kind of all over the map, it'll go to, from like, you know, cheesy ninja fighting to like really gruesome in like zero seconds. Um, so that's one thing to watch out for. Um, but yeah. Have you watched all the episodes already? Uh, I finished last weekend. Yeah. For this weekend. Oh, then. Uh, Pam, what's your pick? So inspired by the, cause I, since I looked up Alan Perlis, um, the epigrams on programming, which is a classic article that he wrote. Um, and it's a an article where he tries to capture in in single statements things he's learned. So it's a it's a cool article. I'm gonna read it more in depth. Cool. So show notes are at Turing.cool slash forty eight. Follow us on Twitter at TuringCool and I'll talk to you guys next week. See ya. Bye. Bye.